This is Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. Hello, thank you for tuning in. I'm Mark Gerson, and I'm the rabbi's husband. And here, as ever, to unearth the inspiring, instructive, and highly practical wisdom of a Torah passage with a fellow seeker of biblical truth. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Pastor Samuel Rodriguez. Pastor Rodriguez is a pastor, a producer, a best-selling author, a civil rights activist, and a television personality. He is the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference and has been described by Fox News, CNN, Time Magazine, and the New York Times as one of America's most influential voices. Pastor Rodriguez, welcome to The Rabbi's Husband. Honored to be here. Thank you for having me. So your chosen passage, which I'm so glad you chose because I had not seen before, is uh, Psalms 89.14. So um, if you could just tell us what happens there and why it's so meaningful to you, that would be a great way to begin this conversation. Psalms 89.14 really speaks, in my opinion, as the antidote. It may very well be the prescription for our current melees. You know, we live in some very... The term unprecedented has been exploited. How many times can you hear it, right? But we live in unprecedented times. Dorothy, we're not in Kansas anymore. And it's way beyond the COVID-19 pandemic. It's, it's the current racial discord, the melees, the social political strife. It just truly, you would have to go back to 1860 to create some sort of viable comparative analysis to our current reality. Psalm 89.14, in my opinion, serves as a prescription. If you want to talk about a movement that is reconciliatory, that elevates the values and the virtues that we hold near and dear collectively, what is that? It's righteousness and justice. Here's the song. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Truth and love lead the way as attendants. If we would have a righteousness and justice, truth and love movement, if all of our politics, if all of our discourse if the way we mutually would affirm each other, even when we disagree on issues, if our communities would be built on righteousness and justice, truth and love, we would literally change the world. It may sound like utopia to some, but it's biblically substantiated as a prescription, not just for the people of Israel, for all the people created in God's image. So these are the four qualities that are needed to govern broadly defined a complicated society. Absolutely. Righteousness, justice, truth, and love. You truly get it all. Look, and it's not, you can't nitpick and just affirm yourself or align yourself with one of them. For example, there are truth tellers out there. But to be honest, to speak truth, if you only exclusively speak truth, you could be a mathematician or you can even be one committed to a very myopic, limited worldview that excludes others, even within the confines of truth. If all you do is love, well, you're basically just a mystical hippie. And hippies are cool. I'm from California. But all, if all you do is preach, is lo preach love without truth, there's a lack of a coherent continuum. When you reconcile righteousness and justice, truth and love, these four elements literally serve as a rubric for communities, families, homes, businesses, nations, for the entire world, not just to survive, but to thrive. I believe that biblical antidote is something we should be embracing right now. So how do you distinguish between righteousness and judgment? What's the difference between those two concepts? 
Righteousness is vertical. Justice is horizontal. And forgive me for using a, a, a Christian cross as a metaphor, but righteousness is vertical. It's righteousness of God. It's justice, one with another. And that justice part, justice is not from the left or from the right. Uh, political operatives love to hijack the term justice. Justice doesn't come from the left or from the right. It comes from the high for the purpose of lifting up the low. Justice is not a political term to be exploited. It is a prophetic term to be lived out. Hence, the prophets in the Old Testament fully committed to doing justice. Micah 6, 8, loving mercy, walking humbly for God. Amos prophetically saw justice rolling like a river. It's that commitment to justice. It's when you do righteousness. If you live righteously before God, then you do justice. It's how you treat the other how you evaluate the circumstance, how you deem and judge upon actions, interactions, and reactions. So justice is just righteousness applied. Another definition of justice would be the application of righteousness to your world. Interesting. And I think a very interesting story, which I think is a true story that really illustrates the distinction. I think exactly as you describe it is Mayor LaGuardia of New York he wants to see everything in New York. So he once did night court. He kicked out the judge and he said, I'm the judge tonight. And he did night court. And there was a case presented before him where this woman had um, stolen a loaf of bread during the Great Depression to feed her grandchildren. And the shopkeeper said, I feel bad for her, but in the interest of justice, we can't have a society where people just come in and steal stuff regardless of how bad I feel. So Mayor LaGuardia said, I understand you and you're right. Therefore, I'm going to find her 10 cents and I'm going to find everyone else in this courtroom 10 cents for living in a city where a woman's grandchildren could go hungry. And it was like 47.50 and he gave the money to the uh, woman and then the shopkeeper kicked in his 50 cents. And, and that was the resolution because justice was there had to be a penalty for the crime. But righteousness is she had to be able to feed her grandchildren. Brilliant. And, and a, a beautiful, beautiful example indeed. And that we really need right now. There's so, so many conversations viable conversations to be had regarding justice. But again, it's righteousness and justice. And in my worldview, in, in my Christian worldview, I remember as a 20-something-year-old emerging with a commitment to reconciling crazy, reconciling some have deemed that it can't be done. Billy Graham's message of Dr. King's march, can we ever reconcile righteousness with justice? In, in the Christian world, in the 20th century, it was primarily divided between the righteousness people and the justice people. So basically, you're either a righteousness Christian or a justice Christian back in the 20th century. You either followed Billy Graham or Dr. King. And I came along and said, why does it have to be either or? Why is there a dichotomy? Why can't we be both righteousness and justice people? Why do we have to somehow separate and split this amazing redemptive message that is so reconciliatory and so unified? So it's righteousness and justice. We need a righteousness and justice movement now. And But we also need a movement that is full of truth and love, because truth cannot be sacrificed on the altar of political expediency or even cultural expediency. Right now, I believe there's an assault on truth. I'm a faith and science guy, graduated from Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. I'm a Pennsylvania native. So I'm a faith and science guy. And I do believe there's an assault on truth. Two plus two is four. It's just, that's why I believe math is the language of God. Two plus two is four. It's, it's pure. It's undeniable. And when we come along and we begin to expand narratives, that there's a possibility that two plus two may not be four. It may be five. It may be six. It's all in the eye of the beholder. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going down a rabbit hole. 
where what would that will, which will have definitive, measurable societal ramifications or repercussions impacting our children and our children's children. So we need a righteousness and justice. Righteousness, we look up to God. Justice, we extend our hands towards one another. Righteousness and justice, truth and love movement. And I do believe that can serve as a prescription for our current melees. You name it, whatever it may be, political, cultural, whatever it may be, that's a prescription. Very interesting. So, so uh, give us an example of what is a, an application in the current day, in the current climate, where this biblical combination of kindness and truth would help resolve an impasse. Right now, we're, we are reliving 1967, 1968. We are reliving years of racial discord and strife. We're, we're back in a place where we believed in my generation that it was dealt with, even with the election of President Obama, who I had the privilege, the privilege of serving. I served President Bush. I served President Obama. I'm actually currently advising this president. So by the grace of God, the Lord has given me access to advise various presidents. But in our current melees, we live in a place where we're divided again, not just by politics, but the idea of just perpetual racial discord and strife. And it's in perpetuity. It seems that that cycle can never be broken. This prescription serves as an antidote because it's different from what's out there. Let me explain. Currently, there's a, a, a movement on one side out there, and that, that movement right now has elements in it that are redemptive and then have elements that are troublesome. And the lack of righteousness and justice, truth and love is the troublesome vacuum that does not line up with the movement of Martin Luther King Jr. I would argue that we're currently seeing the fulfillment of a Malcolm X movement rather than a Dr. King movement. It's righteousness and justice that Dr. King preached about with truth and love. Hence the rioting and the protesting. The protesting is fine. It's the looting and the rioting and the violence and the exchanges that are unacceptable and should be pushed back by every single person committed to racial reconciliation, committed to the image of God in every human being, committed to righteousness and justice, truth and love. So this prescription is not a pushback, but it's a better prescription for the current attempt to serve our current or to serve or address our current racial discord and malaise. That's one, even our politics. Oh goodness, the donkey and the elephant are both right now discombobulated because they don't advance an agenda of righteousness and justice, truth and love. So my, this idea can permeate political discourse. It recognizes, it, it prompts me to respect you. I may disagree with you, but I acknowledge the fact that you and I are both created in the image of God. Therefore, I'm going to respect you and I'm going to love you. How about that? Seems a little bit, you know, uh, whatever it may be, Pollyanna-ish, but I'm going to love you. And I'm going to respect you because you are a fellow human being, a fellow human being created in the image of God. We're, we're going to disagree, but your disagreement does not stop me, deter, hinder, or obstruct me from expressing love and respect for who you are as a fellow human being occupying this thing we call earth and this time and space. So again, these are all examples that we can advance and move forward. Right. Now, it, it's so interesting with your, your, the dichotomy between kindness and truth. So what you're suggesting is always honor truth, never deny truth, never shade truth, never compromise with the truth. Yet when you deal with the truth, deal with it with kindness, come to the truth with a spirit of kindness. And what you're saying is that's what Psalm 8914 is teaching us. Truth is the product that you're purchasing on Amazon Prime. Love is the truck that delivers it to your house. It's real simple. 
love is the facilitative platform. It's a delivery mechanism by which we convey truth. If all we do is convey truth, where it's never going to resonate, the, the way that I that I frame it, it's it's the heart, the head, and the hand. When we speak to one another, we have to speak to the heart, which is the the affective domain, the nefesh, and it's the soul. It's right here. When we speak to the head, it's the cognitive domain. It's your intellect, and the hand is the practical. So here we inspire, here we inform, and here we impart. And everything we deliver, if you want to convey a message that changes hearts and minds, it has to be inspirational, informational, and it has to have an element of impartation. And the only way we do that is with truth, love, righteousness, and justice. We're yelling at one another instead of having conversations. We're yelling to each other instead of coming to the table of reason. And can we reason together, the prophet? Can we reason together? Absolutely. But it requires you and I not to drink the Kool-Aid, to push back on the darkness, to be light instead of focusing on the darkness. Why not turn on the light? And if we do that, we can change the world around us. So when the Psalm says that's the basis of God's countenance, that's his expression, that's how he presents himself to the world. It's in kindness and truth. And although these things can sometimes seem to be opposite, we have an expression, hard truths, which is not a Psalm-like expression. It's how about truth, unadulterated, but a kind truth or a truth said kindly. Or a beautiful, just different terms for it. It's, it's a kind truth. It's beautiful orthodoxy for those of us that have a religious worldview. It's beautiful orthodoxy. So it's orthodoxy, but it's beautiful. It's, and again, the, we do away with the rancor and the angst and the anger and the sarcasm and, sort, and that sort of thing. And we fill and populate the atmosphere with conversations, with expressions, with policies, with actions, interactions, and reactions, with postures that are personal, that are prophetic, that could be political, cultural in nature, but whatever they are, they are full of righteousness and justice, truth and love. These four ideas, that's what the millennial generation is demanding, what the Z generation requires for that generation not just to survive, but to thrive. Even in the meta-narrative of the passage of the Israelites, the Hebrew children, coming out of Egypt through the desert, inevitably ending up in the promised land, you would see the emergence of these threads, these principles throughout the course of the day. It's righteousness and justice, truth and love. In the promised land, these pillars would be elevated through the prophets as the pillars. That's why the psalmist wrote, righteousness and justice literally serve as the foundation of your throne. Your throne is based on righteousness and justice. And who is guarding? Who are the gatekeepers? Who brings people in? Who is the welcoming party? Truth and love. So we're, we're never going to experience righteousness and justice until we first embrace truth and love. So my point to, to the audience, you really want to know God, God who is righteous, the God of justice, then you must embrace truth and love. It is impossible to know God without first going through truth and love. Right. And, and it's such an interesting insight you have that this is what the millennial and the younger generation is yearning for, even though, of course, few would say what we're yearning for is Psalm 8914. <laughs> That's effect the Bible being what it is, which is the everlasting truth that is always relevant and always there for us. And it's describing the current crisis, whether people know or don't know, it's all right here. We live in a world of moral relativism, of cultural decadence, of spiritual apathy and religious lukewarmness. 
and we are we are seeing a generation emerge post COVID, this generation emerging with so much ambiguity and confusion regarding that which truly matters. Ask a Generation Z young person, what is righteousness? What is it to live right? How about that? In layman speak. Right. What is justice in your opinion? What would they say? About, about living right, it's all in the eye of the beholder. You live right according to your standards. What standards? Whatever standards you embrace. And what about justice? Well, justice is equity. What does that mean? to be fair. What does that mean? And there's going to be a hard-pressed explanation. I think when you ask a generational Z person about justice, they will address economic, racial, environmental, and so forth. And then you ask them about truth. Truth is in the eye of the beholder, which is antithetical to any sort of logical coherence regarding the continuation of civil society. Math is math. Two plus two is four. Truth is not in the eye of the beholder. Truth by its very nature is just truth. It exists within its very confines, its very definition. And then love, love becomes this ambiguous term measured on outcomes and maybe to a Z generation on pleasure or self-affirmation or validation and definition. What we want to do is biblically substantiate and re-emerge, represent once again to this broken world what righteousness is. What does it look like to be right according to the Bible? And it's beautiful. What does it look like to do justice according to the Bible? And it's beautiful. What is truth according to the Bible? And it's beautiful. And what is love? So let's lay this out. Let's reintroduce the four concepts that may very well serve as the catalyst for a movement that can transform this broken world. Righteousness and justice, truth and love. If not, the opposite is anarchy. It is chaos. It is a deconstructive modality where the end game is unbelievable, unprecedented mayhem. And that's, and I'm not a, a, a doom and gloom conspiracy theorist, but we are this far away from things breaking out negatively. And we can prevent it by building a firewall of righteousness and justice, truth and love. Beautiful. Well, uh, Pastor Rodriguez, what an extraordinary lesson for our times. And, and what an amazing application of the Bible to present day challenges, which is the whole point of the Bible, because it says in Deuteronomy, it basically anticipates the question, what's the point of this? And it says, this is for your benefit. And you've just shown how Psalm 89.14 is for all of our benefit in a way that everybody can relate to. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Now, the concluding question always goes from one text, the sacred text of the Bible, to a very different text, which is Andre Malroux's 1968 book, Anti-Memoir. And he says in the book, I just ran into a man um, with whom I served in the war. And he said, this man had saved a lot of Jews and then had become a parish priest. So I said to the priest, in all of your years of hearing confessions, what are two things that you've learned about mankind? And the priest said, I've learned two things. One, everyone is much less happy than he seems. And two, there is no such thing as a grown-up person. So, Pastor Rodriguez, in all of your years of ministering broadly defined, writing, speaking, publishing, advising parishioners to presidents, and being such a religious leader for this country, what are two things that you've learned about mankind? I've learned that the vast majority of people are either failing, surviving, or thriving. All of us are either, we live in one of these three categories, and the majority of us end up in the survival mode. We're either failing, surviving, or thriving. How about this? Egypt, the desert, or the promised land. And the vast majority of us, over 90% of humanity, never gets into the promised land. And I'm talking about intellectually, spiritually, relationally, within their, their, their God-ordained purposes and destiny. I learned that. And one of my missions is to push people to that 
thriving mode, to that promised land in family, in, in society, and in culture. I've also learned that we are so cognitively inclined, technologically advanced, yet our heart continues to be the place that is most troublesome. That if we can address the heart issues, everything else will follow. If we can address this right here, and with that, I, I created a Sam Rodriguez rubric for me and for my kids. My kids will actually repeat this as a mantra. They ask, they ask, hey, dad, you know, at the end of the day, what will be your legacy? What would be like the advice, your quote? What would be the thing that captures your essence? What would be your advice to the next generation? Live a holy, healed, healthy, happy, humble, hungry, honoring life. And with that life, change the world. I'll repeat it. Live a holy, healed, healthy, happy, humble, hungry, honoring life. And with that life, you can change the world. That's what I've learned. I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to advance that. And hopefully and prayerfully, my children and my children's children will point back to a dad who was committed to changing the world around him for the greater good. And what a magnificent lesson in fatherhood that your children would ask that question, that they would ask you, what does your life mean? And they have, and our dinner table conversations in the holidays, it's pretty, because they have this memorized, it's internalized now. And they actually did. So it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, that's great. Well, uh, thank you for such a fascinating discussion on so many different levels and for teaching us about what profound insights uh, can arise from this biblical passage. And thank you for all the work you do for this country and for, and for, for faith in America and, and for coming on The Rabbi's Husband. Thank you for having me. You are-